it is awesome to seek God together and to worship together. And if you're a guest with us, um, thanks for coming. I know it takes courage coming to a new place and uh, welcome. We're, we hope that tonight is a night where you can just kind of unplug from life and plug into God a little bit, even if you're still just a, a person who's on a spiritual journey searching. And, and a lot of folks started that way and have come to a place where they've wrestled enough with who this Jesus is and that they've said yes to him. That's actually the series we've been in called Changed and looking at this idea of what, is, what does it mean to be a person who's been changed by Jesus? What does it mean to be a person who has said yes to Jesus and who has been changed permanently because of that faith in him, but also in that journey, we're in a constant stage of being changed to be more and more reflective of who we're called to be and uh, who God has created us and redeemed us to be, to kind of be the best version of us that he sees for us. And so it's not only a changed one time in faith, but it's also this ongoing change. And that's what we've been looking at the last few weeks, and we're going to continue that tonight. And, but I want you to kind of get in a frame of mind in what they're looking at here in 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to 1 Peter chapter 4. That's where we're going to be tonight. Uh, or if you have your phone, you can open it up. You can open up the church app, and you can just go scroll down to sermon notes, and that'll take you to kind of the button. And there's some stuff in there I want you to see tonight, uh, some stuff that you can use this week. So to get you in the mood for that, uh, how many of you love gifts? How many of you would like this gift? You don't want this gift. I'm going to tell you. But you do like gifts, right? Uh, how many of you have received gifts before, right? How many of you enjoyed that? No sound. No audible sound at all. Like, you guys are just like, yeah, I get gifts all the time. It's kind of old hat now. Tired of it. Um, so you get a gift, and you love to do what with this gift? If you were handed this right now, what would you do? You'd open it, right? Like every two-year-old knows this, right? That's what you do with the gift. You open it, you enjoy it. Here's what I want you to do. Turn to your neighborhood, two, three people right around you, and I want you to discuss what was one of your favorite gifts you ever got. Uh, It could either be big, little, it doesn't matter. What was one of your favorite gifts you ever got, and, and what was it? Why did you enjoy that? Okay, you got 32 seconds. Ready, set, go. Turn to someone around you. What was one of your favorite gifts you ever got? Maybe it was a practical gift. Maybe it was not practical. All right, five more seconds. Sharing, sharing, talking, talking. Okay. So you had an emotional response to that because you started jibber-jabbering like crazy. That's not even a word anyone should use anymore, jibber-jabber. Okay, anyway, uh, but you started talking about it, right? Because gifts have a way of doing that. And because we want to be people who just, like when we receive a gift, we open it, we share it, we engage with it. No one takes a gift and goes, hey, thanks for giving that to me. And then they go put it in a closet in their house without ever opening it. Like if you showed up at someone's house for Christmas and you went like wandering trying to find the restroom and you opened up a door and it was a room full of gifts that have never been opened, wouldn't you be like, 
this person's weird and I need to go right now. Right? Like that would be the thought, because what do you do with gifts? You open gifts. And I want you to keep that in mind as Peter begins to dive down into this idea, what does it mean to receive gifts from God? What does it mean? What are we to do with those gifts? So just a quick recap. We've been using 1 Peter as a touch point for this whole series of kind of saying, here's some some markers of a changed life. Here's some things that are to mark the life of a person who has said yes to Jesus, who is following after Jesus, who is growing uh, in their intimacy and in discipleship and in following after Jesus. Here's some things that are to mark their life. And we said a changed heart matters that we'd be people who continually flow with the the love and the hope of Jesus, that that would just mark our life, that a changed mind, that we would be people of God's word, that we would be people who are kind of saying, okay, I'm not just going with what the world says, here's how you attack things, here's how you go after things, but we'd look at what God has to say about things, and we'd allow the word of God to begin to change us. We'd have changed relationships, that the way we relate one to another, that we're a part of a bigger family than just us, right? We said we is greater than me, that we're a part of something so much bigger, this, uh, this idea of changed community, that we begin to leverage our life to have change and impact into the community around us, the sphere of influence that God's allowed you to have and me to have and for us to have, that it would begin to have a, make a difference in the lives of the community and the people that we rub shoulders with, that it would begin to change them. And tonight, I want to look at this idea of changed purpose, looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 11, so a smaller section tonight, a couple little lenses that Peter says, here's how you kind of view life, here's how you go, and then he kind of drills down on what we're going to really focus on tonight. Here's what he says. He starts, verse 7, the end of the world is coming soon, period. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. Uh, Anyone's seen Avengers? Okay, anyway, moving on. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. The end is coming be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most of all, this is one of the verses we had that we had to memorize, right? Most important of all, continue to show deep love for one another, for love covers over a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those in need, a meal or a place to stay. And then verse 10, this is where we're gonna focus on tonight. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well, to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and all power to him forever and ever. Amen. It's kind of this prayer that Peter has, and he starts off with just a couple quick lenses for us to see. So, like, this is, it's important for us to live life with the end in mind. Now, I know this was written thousands of years ago. I get asked the question, when's Jesus coming back? Here's my answer. Yeah, I don't know. Here's what I know. Jesus was alive, was crucified, and got back up. So I'm going to ride with him because no one else has ever done that. And when he says, and he's asked this question that he doesn't know, only the Father knows, then I'm still gonna ride with Jesus. And I'm gonna trust that he's got this all figured out. And I don't have to try to figure it out. There's some clues and there's some things we can look for and Revelation's full of those and some are clear and some are confusing and I'm just being real, but 
there's a lot of Christians sometimes who get caught up with, okay, the end times and blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, but if Jesus said he didn't know, then I'm not going to try to necessarily figure it all out because he's the one I'm riding with, and I'm going to trust him. Now, what did he say? I'm coming back, even before the Terminator. He said it, and so I'm riding with him. I'm going to trust that he's, he's coming back and that he's on this journey with the Father, the perfect timing of exactly when that needs to happen. Here's the challenge for me as a follower of Jesus. Live with the end in mind. That's what Peter's saying. See, when you don't live with the end in mind, then it allows our perception of the world, it allows our priorities of how we engage and navigate our life and our living to really be super flexible, which isn't necessarily bad, but not necessarily the best. When you live with the end in mind, you have a a focus that says, I'm going to do things about things that matter. You can be a person who lives life now, and you're allowed to. In fact, you should enjoy some things now. But if you live your whole entire life just focusing on the now, then we have a way of missing things that will actually last, right? And we end up kind of pursuing after things that that don't last and don't have eternal impact and really don't matter. It's almost like we begin rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. Who would do that? It's a ship that's going down. And so we're to care and to make a difference in our world and, and like environment and all that kind of stuff matters, but the reality is we know there's an end to this. And so we're to live with the end in mind, that we would have a filter so to speak, that we'd be people who would say, I'm going to live a long obedience in the same direction. In fact, that's actually a title of Eugene Peterson's book, all about discipleship, all about what does it mean to be a person who has said yes to Jesus, who's fallen after him. He has this, this book that says it's a long obedience in the same direction. Here's what he says. It's not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It's sometimes difficult to sustain the interest. There's a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue to sign up for a long apprenticeship. And what he's saying is, look, you've got to live with the end in mind because you're following one who has made the way possible for us to have an eternal hope that holds us in this life and in the life to come, and there is a life to come. And so you can enjoy some now, But don't live for only now, is what Peter's saying. Live for the future. It's to mark your life. These are things. So you keep and live with the end in mind. Determine, that will help determine what you give yourself to in our now. Also, be fervent in your prayers. And live this life of love. Above all, we're to love because it covers over a multitude of sins. That Christians' unselfish love and concern for others is to be exercised to the point sacrificially that we're living for the welfare of others, not just ourselves. That it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the we is greater than the me. Remember? And it's this idea that we're called to to love each other deeply. This Greek word for deeply, what he says there, to love deeply is like an athlete at the end of a race straining toward the finish line. And you see their muscles kind of straining to push them and propel them forward. He says you're to love full force with maximum effort. 
straining in the love that you give one to another and how you live your life. Let your love be without reservation, hesitation, or qualification. Let your love be on full display. That's the kind of love that the church needs. That's the kind of love that a watching world needs to see the love in a church put on display. Love one another. You cover over a multitude of sins. And then he gets to this verse 10 that is where we'll spend most of our time. And it's this idea of gifting. You've been given a gift, is what Peter is saying. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. God has given every believer in ministry a gift. Let me be really, really clear. If you're a follower of Jesus, man or woman, you are gifted, period. That's what the Bible teaches. And you have a gifting. Now, you have passions and you have talents and you have beliefs and you have dreams and and desires that you have in your heart. We all have them. And sometimes your spiritual gift will be in unison with that. But throughout the scriptures, there's three different places where it kind of gives a list. And I don't think it's an all-exclusive list of spiritual gifts that is provided by the Holy Spirit. When you say yes to Jesus, you are not only sealed by the Holy Spirit, but you are gifted by the Holy Spirit. And in that gift, we are meant to do something with it. There's three places. So if you want to read them later, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Ephesians chapter 4, and Romans chapter 12. Those are the three main places you'll find in the scriptures, and all that's kind of in your sermon notes there. But biblical teaching that all men, all women who have said yes to Jesus have a contribution to make, where the Spirit wants you to make a significant imprint and fashion into someone's life, to use those gifts to better the church and the movement of Jesus in this world. Everyone has a spiritual gift who said yes to Jesus, an ability that equips them to serve God and his church in a special way. Some gifts will be on display in in crowds. Some gifts will be not so expressive in that way. But every gift is significant, and every gift matters. When you examine these passages, you begin to discover there's about 15 or 16 that are listed here. And there's a way to go about that, everything from evangelism, that a heart for people who are far from God, that they would come to know God, a teaching gift, a shepherding gift, an encouraging gift, a giving gift. People who just have been given the ability to say, I make a lot of money and I just love to fuel the kingdom of God. That's a gift that people have, leadership, administration, discernment, prayer, helps, or hospitality, people, uh, prophecy or healing, wisdom, the gift of faith, to be able to believe bigger than what most people can get their arms around. You just believe God to be active in doing something. These are gifts that are listed throughout the scriptures. And every single one of us who have said yes to Jesus, God has custom designed a purpose for you. It may coincide with the talents and abilities and gifting that you have on your own, but your spiritual gift is also activated. And so what I want to show you, if you have never studied this or are interested in it, in the app, if you go to the sermon notes, you scroll down to the bottom, there is a... um, a spiritual gifts assessment, kind of a survey that I put a link there to that you can download at home and you can kind of go through it and begin this idea of discovery of what your spiritual gift may be. Now, 
taking a little survey that you print out at home does not mean this is exactly what it is. But this is about you going on a discovery journey with God to say, God, I really want to know what my spiritual gift is. And I'd love to begin to try to get my arms around that, my mind around that, because the reality is if you've gifted me, I want to open it. I don't want to just shove it in a closet. If you've given me a gift, then I want to open it. I want to engage with it. I want to utilize this. This is about discovering your gift, developing your gift, and deploying your gift to bless other people, to be a blessing in his church and in the movement of God that's yours. Discover it. Don't worry about the skill sets that you don't have or the giftings that you don't have. Don't try to be someone else's gift. Be your gift. You were gifted that. Some people have asked, okay, do spiritual gifts, is that like a one and done thing? Do you have it and then that's the gift you have forever? Yes and no. Because the Holy Spirit's gonna do what the Holy Spirit does. And sometimes it's a gift that's gonna go lots and lots of seasons. And other times there may be giftings that are given to you for this season. And maybe there's other seasons where God says, I'm gonna give you some different gifts and some different abilities. We're to pray for these. Notice that the gifts are when they're employed, uh, serve an enriching purpose to the church. And all these gifts have one thing in common. They come alive and developed when you serve other people. When you serve within the church, when you serve within the movement of Jesus and what he's doing. This is what Charles Swindoll says. He says, when you employ your spiritual gifts, others benefit. Others are encouraged, others gain fresh hope, and interestingly, so do you. When you engage with the gift that God's given you, you develop it, you utilize it, you help grow in that gift, it blesses other people. And that's the point of these gifts. The church is healthy and at its best when the people of the church are involved in the ministry of the kingdom. But when God's gifted people sit on the sidelines, the church and the movement of God can become hindered or handicapped. You've been given a gift. Use it. Discover it. Develop it. Deploy it into the use of God's kingdom. For some of you, you may be sitting here going, okay, well, I don't know. Are you good with numbers? Because I'm not. (laughs) Do you have the gift of administration? I don't. Do you have the gift of mercy? Do you have have the gift of encouragement to people? Have you ever start thinking back through your life of things that people have pointed out to you as you've been walking with Jesus? You begin to discover maybe some of these spiritual gifts that you've been gifted and to do. We each have a role to play, a gift to use, a contribution to make. Ministry is not just for the professionals. It's for every single disciple. That's how the church has an impact in the world. When it's not just the professionals, it's every single disciple. Why? Because you've been gifted. Don't hide it in a closet. Open it up. Utilize it. Discover it. Develop it. Deploy it into use. Every one of you who has said yes to Jesus and who is following after him, every disciple has an opportunity to serve the kingdom of God in some capacity. And it's a way for us to begin to harness those gifts. When we minister in that capacity, we become channels of God's grace and his hope and his love to impact the people around us. But when we don't, 
when we kind of hold it close to the vest or we put it in our own closet and we don't even try to discover or don't try to even develop, then the church is missing out. The movement of God is missing out because you have a contribution to make. And just so that I'm really clear, because of all the news stories that are going on, men and women have spiritual gifts. And they're to be utilized to move the kingdom forward. Because every gift has significance. And every gift can make a contribution into God's kingdom. Each one of us is to develop and understand the gift that we have, to work with that. Do you understand that in a moment? You go home and take the survey and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got it. Are you an expert? No, because you didn't become an expert driver overnight, right? Some of you are good drivers. Some of you are not. Let's just be honest. Um, This takes work, and it takes effort and cooperation with the Holy Spirit to say, God, I want to be a person who utilizes the gift you've given me. I don't want it to be dormant. I don't want it to be on the sidelines. Christianity is not a spectator sport, friends. It's a participation gig where everybody has opportunity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one of those places that lists out several of these gifts, uh, Paul equates to the, the, the church as kind of the body of Christ, meaning everyone has a different part to play, so the body is fully developed and able to be useful in God's kingdom and in his work. This isn't about a consumer mindset where we try to figure out their gift and we just harness it for ourselves. This is about deploying this and utilizing it to bless others. We are not called toward, uh, we're not, sorry, we are now called toward a beautiful reality that in Christ we've been rewired and re-gifted merely, not merely to consume, but to make a contribution that we've been changed to live with a bigger purpose than just the purpose we can carve out and create on our own. We're enfolded into something bigger. This goes back. Remember, you're part of a family now, the family of God. We're to serve and to make a difference. We have a value around here uh, where we talk about the bleachers or the cheap seats, right? And people, a lot of Christians sometimes can, can hang out in the cheap seats. Maybe they've been wounded in a church experience. Maybe they've been drifting for a long time. They're coming back. Listen, it's fine to hang out in the cheap seats for a while. The key word being for a while. Why? Because you're gifted. And the church and the movement of God misses out when you go hide your gift in the closet. But because you're gifted, and because you can discover and develop and deploy this, then the church wins. The movement of God advances. It begins to make a difference, not just in your life because you're utilizing it, but you're blessing others, and the ripple effect of that has a great uh, impact to those around it. We're to not just be consumers because consumers get settled into this idea of being served. How many of you have ever been to a really fancy restaurant? Okay. It's pretty cool, isn't it? When you go there, you feel kind of all snooty, right? And you don't want to tell anyone that you're really not snooty and that you drive a bug, you know, just like, but you go there and you feel kind of snooty and you're like, I like to be served. I'd like three waters, one with lemon, one with lime, one with stirred ice. Thank you. And, I, and they have to bring it to you, right? Because it's like a fancy place and all this stuff. And, and in a way, sometimes we can approach our Christian journey, especially the older we get, thinking that, okay, this is kind of like that restaurant experience. I'll just come, 
and I'll kind of get what I want from it. And, but the idea of effort or, like, I don't work in the kitchen, right? And so this is to be about me and being served. But see, that's a consumer mindset. And friends, let's just be very real. The church today is hindered because of a consumer mindset. The church is the movement of Jesus in this world that would make a difference that people who are going to hell are now going to heaven and have a relationship with God. That they're now gifted themselves and utilizing that. It's to be a church with the movement of God is an active thing. It's not a spectator thing. It's a participant thing. There's a fascinating story that happens in Mark chapter 10. Um, Jesus is walking, right? It's kind of toward the end of, in, in Mark's gospel, he's beginning to take the turn of toward Jerusalem. And uh, they're walking on their way to Jerusalem. We, we know, because we have hindsight, we know what's going to happen. The disciples in that moment don't know exactly what's going to unfold. And the fact that Jesus is going to the cross on their behalf to, to give his life as a sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins rests in this moment. And Jesus isn't hightailing it the opposite way. He's actually embraced this moment and he's moving there. Then as Jesus is walking on this journey, uh, James and John, in I I would only assume kind of a sly kind of way, walk up next to Jesus. They're like, hey, Jesus. So we were thinking, talking amongst ourselves, the two of us, when you get into your kingdom, we would really like to have the honor of sitting on your left and on your right. Is that okay? Can you imagine how the other 10 felt after they hear this conversation? I don't know if you missed that. The significance of that request, of that question, Jesus, when when all this is said and done and you get into your kingdom and you're in power, can we sit in your left and your right? What are those seats? Are they seats of honor? Are they castaway seats? Take a wild guess. Major seats of honor, right? Like, I want to be your right-hand man and your left-hand man. Like, we're right there with you. And Jesus says, can you drink of the baptism I'm going to drink from? They're like, I don't know what that means. He's like, well, you will. And then he stops, and what we read in Mark chapter 10 is that the other 10 are ticked off. Why? Because these two guys want the seats of honor. In essence, what they want is something. In our culture, we don't have seats of honor, necessarily. But we have a ladder. We have a ladder that from about age 16 to about age maybe 90, I think at 90 you stop caring. But from 16 to 90, here's what we strive to do in our culture. We do everything in our power to climb this, don't we? Everything in our power 
That's why we go to school. That's why we take on a debt load, um, because we think we could just get one ring up. Look at all those people down there. <laughs> Whoo, so glad I'm up here. And so we want to climb. We want to climb in our businesses. We want to climb in our net worth. We want to climb in our reach and our impact. And, and so the allure of the climb is really powerful. It's the promotions you want. Now, are these things bad? No. What's interesting is the perspective. See, with the allure of the climb, everything is about who? The person on the ladder. My perspective is I've got to, I've got to be tougher. I've got to climb higher. I've got to keep going up the, the rings. I've got to get to a place where I'm better than the other people who are down here. And throughout the scriptures, and specifically in this moment, Jesus has an interesting conversation with his followers, people who have said yes to him and who are following after him. And he says, James and John, and the other 10 who are now ticked off, um, you're so interested in this, but I'm not interested in the climb. I'm interested in your reach. I'm interested in the fact of what you can do with your life, not to climb up so that people are looking at you, but what you can reach out and impact those around you. See, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. It's a perspective change. To say as a person who has said yes to Jesus, who's following after him, this allure does not go away. In fact, the call of this will continually call for you. And in those moments, you need to decide what voice you're listening to. The Savior or the allure of the climb? Because the Savior is concerned with the reach, the impact that you're to have. See, disciples of Jesus are living with a greater purpose than just the purpose they can create and try to carve out. They're actively using their gifts, serving wholeheartedly, giving sacrificially to God's will and to his plan and to his ways, seeking to multiply their impact and the kingdom reach to bring the hope and light of Jesus wherever they go. They want to maximize the reach, not the climb. They want to get to a place where they begin to refocus their purpose to say it's bigger than just me. It's not all about me. God has gifted you, friend. And the gifts are best, not when you hide them in the closet, but when you open them and engage with them, not when you keep them locked away or hoarded away or stockpiled just for you, but when they're shared, when you expand the reach of what God can do in and through you and in and through us. It's not wrong to seek to climb a little bit. Don't let your focus always be here, though. Because when your focus is here, you can't reach out to the people around you. The key verse we looked at uh, tonight 
is uh, we haven't got to yet, but Ephesians 2.10 says this. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 and 9 is all about the grace that we've been given, meaning this isn't about our effort. We have this incredible gift that's been given to us and the salvation of God. For we are God's handiwork, Ephesians 2.10 says. Uh, that Greek word is actually this masterpiece, meaning uh, if you've ever been to the Sistine Chapel and you see the painting of Michelangelo and how long it took, it's a masterpiece. There's nothing like it in the world. You're a masterpiece. There's nothing like you in the world. That's what God's saying. You are God's handiwork. You're his masterpiece. There's nothing else like you. You've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has already prepared in advance for you to do. Meaning he's got stuff lined up for your gifting to be activated and used and deployed in this world to make a difference. Here's the bottom line for tonight. A God-changed life is a God-gifted life and gifts are meant to be shared. A God-changed life is a God-gifted life and gifts are meant to be shared. Every single person who said yes to Jesus, has been gifted and enlisted into participation in God's kingdom. It is not a spectator sport. Every single person has a role and a contribution to make. We are not to live that this is someone else's job. No, friends. It's yours. It's mine. We're all gifted, and we're all enlisted into this. We are agents for God. That's what we talked about last week, remember? A God-changed life is a God-gifted life. And gifts are best when they're shared. So, Father, that's what we pray for tonight. That we would recognize that we've been gifted. Not because we're cool or not because we're awesome, but simply because you're awesome. And you rescued and you saved and you redeemed and you brought us back to yourselves. And as a part of that, not only do we get to have life with you, relationally connected and growing, that you have also gifted us to be partners with you in ministry. Every single one of us. God, I I pray, we pray for your church. God, would you raise up the gifts that sit right here right now, those who listen online. God, every single person who said yes to Jesus is gifted. Would you let your church thrive because the people of God are utilizing their gifts to maximize your impact, to leverage our lives as agents for you to make a difference in our world. Our world needs your church to be active with the gifts that you've given. The allure of our world pushes us to climb. But Jesus, you modeled so often that you care most about the reach of reaching back to those who need it desperately, reaching forward to those who think they've got it all figured out but just live in a hollow life, to reaching out beside that people who are fellow searchers trying to figure things out that they be drawn home to you. So we ask with great sincerity and simplicity, Father, would you help us discover the gifts that you've given us? Would you help us to discover those, develop those, deploy those for your good in the world? 
We want to be your church that's active for you. Not just a place and a building and an address that people show up to on a night once a week, but a people who are gifted and sent out, scattered throughout your city, throughout your world, to bring your hope and your light wherever we go, because you're always with us. Jesus, you told James and John, your followers then, that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And so in communion, we remember, those weren't just words that you said. You lived it out. And you said, follow my example. Would you help us to be people that serve like you did? As we remember your body broken, your blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, the investment into our our lives, that we would now be active agents for you, with you, in your world. And as we worship you, would you stir our hearts afresh and anew. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.